Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, pastor at Hope, and we are so glad that you are listening in. We would love to connect with you in person at our Sunday gathering. In the meantime, we hope this message points you to Jesus, the reason we gather. In the pandemic shutdown, when we were all confined to our living rooms or our apartments, I read the last two verses in the book of Acts with surprise. I read the last two verses in the book of Acts in fresh light. For two whole years, Luke writes, Paul stayed in Roman house arrest in his own rented house. This was not Airbnb. This was house arrest. And welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so from one angle, these verses are super discouraging. God is on the move in the book of Acts and the apostle Paul is riding the wave. But this wave crashes him into prison. And we might think, what on earth is God doing? But from another angle, a more important angle, these verses are really encouraging because according to Acts, these two years are not a loss. They're not even a wash. They're a gain. Paul was cramped, but God gave him a supernatural space. If you've ever watched the uh, British sci-fi series Doctor Who, you know about the time travel spaceship, El Tardis. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Yes. It's a time-cramped British police box, phone booth, from the outside. But from the inside, this thing is immense. It's shockingly immense. Well, this is what Paul's life in prison it's cramped, but God makes it spacious. That's the Apostle Paul's life in prison. And we know this because Luke told us in the book of Acts. That's how the book of Acts ends with the surprising spaciousness that God provides, even in a cramped circumstance. But God tells us through Paul himself about this surprise. Did you know that Paul wrote letters while in prison? while in house arrest. And there are four of them in our Bibles. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, the book of Philemon, were all letters written from prison, from the Apostle Paul. And this morning, we're going to take a look at two of them, Philippians and Ephesians. And so let me just say this before we pray and get started. If you are feeling cramped by circumstances, If like the limits in your life are feeling like prison bars, these two letters might offer you a different perspective. And they might give you eyes to see and maybe even a heart to experience the surprising space around you. First, before we do that, let's pray. Lord, would the words of my mouth be pleasing and acceptable to you? A rock and a reed. Because you are our rock and because you are our redeemer, 
we come hungry, we come thirsty. Lord, we come expectant that by your Holy Spirit, we would encounter Jesus this morning through your word. Would this not be a mere intellectual exercise of fact accumulation, but instead would it be transformation by your spirit? We come eager and we come hungry. We come thirsty. Please speak. Please show yourself to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at least once a year, my family travels to the small cottage in northern Michigan. And about five years ago, I was able to go to this small cottage and spend some time by myself in this little space. And yes, I brought theology books and I brought spiritual formation books. But one of the most important books that I brought with me was called Kaufman, Field Guide of Nature to the Midwest. Okay, It was a field guide. I decided what I would do, part of my time during this, would be to really get to know the plant life around me, to really get to know the names of the trees around the space that I was so familiar with. And an amazing thing happened to me that week. This small plot of land became enlarged. I didn't need to travel for the borders of this space to grow. I just needed to open my eyes to what was right in front of me all that time. I learned that if you have eyes to see, what appears small is actually spacious. I learned that there is a paradox, even, in these cramped spaces. Limits, in other words, are not confining. They can actually create more space. And this isn't just true with nature outside of us, but in all of life. So Pastor Zach Eswine, he writes that each generation basically wants to become like God. And in doing so, they want to shake off human limitation. And so classically, God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. And so we all want to pretend to be those three things. We want to pretend to be all-knowing. And so we carry Google in our pocket in hopes to never say, I don't know. We pretend to be all present, so we project an idealized image or even idealized videos of our life onto social media, right? So that we are always present to anybody, anywhere, at any time. And we pretend to be all powerful, don't we? To control our lives, to tidy our messy little kingdoms. But sooner than later, uh, this sort of reality comes and crashes this kingdom down, doesn't it? Every day we collect more commitments. Every day we collect more responsibilities. Every day more doors of opportunity close. Every day our bodies break down. Every day more and more and more and more and more limits are placed upon us. Every day it seems our boundaries are getting smaller, not larger. Real life infringes on our imaginary kingdoms. But I believe actually tearing down this imaginary kingdom is the best thing that could ever happen to us. It's the best thing that could ever happen to us. Because when reality starts to cramp our vision of the good life, God can actually open up supernatural space that you never knew existed. 
It's another kingdom paradox. We talk about the kingdom being upside down. We talk about the kingdom being inside out. Here, the kingdom of God, what appears cramped, is actually the most spacious place in the cosmos. And we see this paradox at play, this kingdom paradox, in Paul's prison letters. Because from one very human angle, Paul is limited, Paul is confined. Paul is losing in life. Paul is in prison. Just look at his admission of limits. Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. From Colossians, remember, this is a prison letter. Remember my chains, he writes. Or Ephesians, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. So from a very human angle, he is limited. He is confined. Yet from another angle, the angle of God's kingdom, Paul is not confined at all. Listen to how he frames his confinement in Philippians 1. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. This is the paradox of God's kingdom. Our life may be narrowed by circumstances, uninvited circumstances, uninvited sufferings, cramped by commitments even, that we have invited upon ourselves, but Jesus makes those things spacious. That is the kingdom paradox. Paul's two prison letters that we're looking at this morning, Philippians and Ephesians, bear witness to this supernatural space in two ways. We can experience the goodness of Jesus no matter how cramped our life may feel. And we can express the good news of Jesus in that same space. And I want to look at both with you this morning. So first, we can experience the goodness of Jesus. Philippians is called the letter of joy. That's what it's called. Because if you were to do a word study and just count the amount of times joy or rejoice is flowing in this letter, you would be overwhelmed. And yet, on the other hand, as we just noted, this is also the letter from jail. So jail and joy don't usually go together, do they? They don't usually go together, jail and joy. But for Paul, they mysteriously coexist. And we need to wrestle with that dynamic right now. That is something that could challenge us the rest of our life. Paul, the apostle, can rejoice in prison. Philippians 1.18. And he can encourage his readers to rejoice. Philippians 4.4. I actually love it. In Philippians, Paul has two explosive words. Words I've been thinking about all week. He says, whatever happens. Whatever happens. This is a whatever happens joy. This is a whatever happens joy. Why? Because Paul, well, he answers in chapter 4. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whatever happens, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all of this, the whatever happens contentment. I can do this through him who gives me strength. 
The goodness of Jesus, in other words, friends, is accessible anywhere and everywhere. And his goodness is spacious. And Paul, therefore, models for us how we can experience his goodness. I think in a couple ways. No matter how cramped your life may feel right now, you too can experience his goodness. We can do so in a couple places. Number one, in our prayer life. Both letters, Philippians and Ephesians, begin and are held together almost like sinew with Paul's prayers. These are prayer letters in so many important ways. They begin with these rich prayers worth meditating on. They end with these rich prayers worth meditating on. And they're laced throughout with these rich prayers, again, worth meditating on. It's as if Paul's prison cell became a prayer cell, basically. And Paul describes his prayer, and he describes the kind of prayer that he's talking about in Ephesians 6, 18, where he says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. So whatever our occasion, what is your occasion right now? Like what is your occasion? How, you know, sometimes we play as a family or as a home group. If your life right now was a movie, what would the title be? Okay? What is your occasion? Whatever it is, we have access to the depths of God in that, okay? We don't have to wait for the movie to finish for us to have access to the depths and space of God. We don't. We have access to, to that now. And this is our secret, Paul says. This is our secret. This is what we hold. This is what no one else has. Access to the depths of God, no matter the occasion. We can experience that in our prayer life, but we can also experience that in our inner life. So just take a look at this prayer from Ephesians 3. For this reason, Paul writes, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray. Again, imagine him in house arrest, okay? Imagine him with a Roman guard sitting next to him, sort of the ancient equivalent of, a, of an ankle bracelet, perhaps. So he's praying, out, he's praying this, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you, with power through his spirit where? in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power now what kind of power is Paul praying that you would have let's read on Together with all the Lord's other people, to, this is how, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, you cannot grasp the dimensions of something that you are not standing within. You can tell me the dimensions of this room, but if I've never stood in it, I cannot grasp the dimensions.
We must experience the goodness of Jesus. And we can do that anywhere. We can do that anywhere. And in any situation. The other day, a friend was showing me pictures of his recent trip to Yosemite. And whenever somebody does this, they show these pictures to me. The photos always fall short. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you had this experience before? Where you had this profound experience looking at beauty, be it the Grand Canyon or maybe whatever it is, and you take these pictures expecting that, you know, somehow you will capture that experience on your little black mirror. And it's like, no, that doesn't happen because when you show the picture, you feel it in your body. You're like, this, oh, this, isn't, this, isn't, this doesn't even do justice. Yet it had to be there, we might say. I have photos on my phone of the most beautiful place on earth. It's called Clouds Rest in Yosemite. But the photo just looks like a screensaver. You know that screensaver you have if you have an Apple product? It pops up like El Capitan. And you're just like, yeah, whatever. If you see that thing in person, though, so different. And this is the, the goodness of Jesus, according to Paul. Paul prays that you experience the love of Jesus the same way I stood on Cloud's rest. Okay? That is what he is asking the Lord to give you. Don't borrow awe from other people. Don't borrow awe of God from your pastor or from the book you're reading or from the podcast you're listening to. No, no, no. Our prayers for each other should be, I ask that, Lord, that you would give them an experience of his goodness. Like, let them stand inside the dimensions of your life. In cramped circumstances, we can experience the immense spaciousness of Jesus' love Earlier in the same letter, Paul prays essentially the same thing. He says, I pray that you might know him better, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know, not intellectually necessarily, but know as in uh, the, the depth of who you are, relationally, the whole complex of what it means to be human, know the hope to which he's called you, and the riches of his glorious inheritance and in his holy people. And listen, verse 19 is so important. And his incomparably great power for those who believe. There's that word again, power. What is his power? That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That is powerful stuff. The Ephesians were scared of the heavenly realms. They were frightened of the heavenly realms. And so what is Paul praying? Paul prays that they experience the, the power, the same power that rose Jesus and exalted him in his ascension over those things that they're afraid of. That they would experience that power. Because he knows that alone. And that alone will calm my fears. The Lord grants space. You see, there are untold depths to the human heart. And there are untold depths in the goodness of Jesus. <laughs> and so no matter how cramped your life is, the goodness of Jesus can be experienced in your inner person and in your prayer life. When life is cramped, we can experience the goodness of Jesus. But that's not all. We can also, no matter where we are, express the good news of Jesus. And this has within it, kind of embedded in it, a spaciousness. Because when you express the good news of Jesus while you are feeling uh, really, really crowded, 
by unasked for suffering, by unasked for circumstances, when you are really, really cramped and you express the good news of Jesus, you are, by definition, living on mission for God, which is by itself an expansion of your circumstances. You are tying in this moment your story to the greatest story on earth. And you are subverting every false narrative that this world will throw at you. When you say, in your limits, Jesus is good, you should taste and see as well. I don't understand it. I really don't understand it. But I keep going back to Jesus. He's good. Okay, when you do that, you are experiencing a supernatural kingdom paradox spaciousness, no matter how cramped you may be. Paul bears witness to this in two ways. First, with proclamation. So despite being in house arrest, Paul proclaims the good news of Jesus. In Philippians, he subverts his chains. We just saw that. He says, instead of something that's hindering the mission of God, these chains are actually advancing the mission of God. What has happened to me is actually serving to advance the gospel, he says, in chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. In Ephesians, he subverts his chains in another way. He calls himself an ambassador in chains. Now, ambassadors aren't in chains. Prisoners are in chains. But instead, he says, I am an ambassador. I am an ambassador of the kingdom of God in my chains. In other words, my kingdom is not like this world. And yes, I look like I am hindered, but no, 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 no. No. In God's story, I am absolutely free. Absolutely free. The kingdom is upside down like that. What we think are blockades are actually conveyors of grace. Um, as you know, I like to say there were two untimely births in my own story 12 years ago. The untimely birth of our second son. Uh, he was prematurely born three months early. But also the untimely birth of this church happened at the same exact time. And that is an untimely birth for a church. Why? Because we were planting and we were hoping for all of the energy and all of the hospitality that we can muster in order to sort of have people in our home and to sort of have as kind of our living room be this nexus of the kingdom of God. And we were so excited to do that. But as soon as our middle son was born, we had to shut down our house. It was like a preview of the COVID shutdown to protect them. Our preemie was vulnerable. But though our circumstances felt cramped, our circumstances closed in, here we are. And you know, more than just you know, existing or surviving as a church, what is more true is that the Lord shaped the DNA of our church. The Lord shaped the ethos, the, the soil of this church in such a way that we are not afraid of suffering. We don't push it aside. We're not scared of it. We could be scared of it, but we say to others, I'm scared of this. And we say, yeah, I understand. That makes sense. Again, it's not a taboo. God advanced the gospel through a limited pastor, a limited church. God advanced what it means to be on mission through limitation, not around. Second, despite being in house arrest, Paul shared the good news of Jesus with participation. And what I mean is participation in God's greater story. I love this summary of Ephesians from Gordon Fee. He writes, writer and poet Eugene Peterson tells the story of his four-year-old grandson hopping up into his lap to hear a troll story. 
Tell me a story, Grandpa, he did. And put me in. That is what Paul is doing in Ephesians. Telling the ultimate story, God's story. And putting some Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers, and us in it. In order to live through the most narrowing circumstances of life, we must first believe that we are significant players in the biggest story of life. It seems that the smaller Paul's surroundings were, the bigger God's story became. I mean, scholars point this out, that he himself points this out. He says, when I read Ephesians, I see Paul with a lot of time thinking about God's story of creation, of fall, of restoration and resurrection, and this giant story of how God is writing it all, and he's going to write it all in the end. And he's pondering it, and it shows forth in the book of Ephesians. And yet he is saying to all its readers, including you, you are a part of this. Your story, your cramped story, is actually a part of this. This is why Paul in these letters can urge his readers to do two things, which appear paradoxical, but actually make total sense when you think story in your mind. You can, on the one hand, rest. You can rest, because you are in the story of God. And you are fueled by his grace. And this story ends well, okay? So you can rest in his story. And simultaneously, we've got work to do. <laughs> Those two things usually don't, compa- don't uh, work together. But they do when you understand that you're taking part in something way bigger than you. This tension of sort of effort and kingdom work and yet soul rest is the calling card of being in God's story. It is. Saved by grace. But significance. Saved by grace. But you are you are significant in his story. You are significant. Highly significant in God's story. I'll say it one more time because I know the but or the you don't know, Joe, of my story. I'll say it one more time because this is true. You are significant. Your story is significant. Your chapter is significant in God's story. You don't have to know how it's significant. But Paul unveils this mystery. For we are God's handiwork. We're his poema. We're his poem. We're his narrative. We're his chapter that he wrote. If anybody writes, you know how hard it is to write. We're that chapter that you sort of wrote and rewrote and edited and all the rest. Like he labored over the chapter that is your life. And you were created in Christ Jesus to do good things. To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's writing the story. And so here we have this paradox of, of rest. Soul rest, okay? We are in God's story. All the, all the good things we're called to do, he already prepared them in advance. We're not earning our way to God. No way. No, there's no way that's true. If you get a, a glimpse like Paul does of the grandeur of God's story, there's no way that we could say, oh yeah, you know what, I heard my spot in this drama. Like, my, have you seen my acting skills? They're amazing. Like, no, there's no way you could say that because Jesus is a hero. You know it yourself. You simply, though, have to hear what he says when he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is an awesome thing to be in God's story. It is an awesome thing to be said by God, hey, come, I'm calling you to take part in my rescue mission. That is awesome. It ought to create fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you 
to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There's that paradox, that tension of soul rest and significant work. When I'm reading an epic book, I can tolerate the small, hard-to-understand chapters. I've talked about this before. I can tolerate the small, hard-to-understand chapters that seem to have no place. Why? Because I trust the author. If I didn't trust the author, I would probably stop reading the book. But if I trust the author, I know this small chapter somehow belongs in the narrative. I don't know how it will, but I trust it will. So it is with your soul. We may feel like our lives have zero significance, but they do. So let me just ask you as we close. What would you say is cramping your life? What person what circumstance feels like an intruder? Well, what if you saw these not as barriers, but as pathways, open doors to unexplored depths with untapped treasure? As Peace Cazero puts it, how can we receive limits as gifts? Maybe this requires what I'll call grieve and receive. We're allowed to say certain limits are profoundly wrong. They have intruded into our life. I mean, Paul entrusts his tormentors to God's wrath in these letters. Paul is not saying, oh, it's all good. Like, what's happened to me in school? He doesn't have a martyr complex at all, Paul. He actually prays, he actually asks and requests that the readers of his letters pray for his release. So he's not like happy he's in prison. He's experiencing joy in the Lord in prison, but he's not sort of seeking it with a martyr complex. And he's entrusting his tormentors to God's justice. And yet, he can receive this as gifts. He can hold this tension of grieving and receiving. The limits of him. We can receive our limits as gifts to pathways to greater maturity, to greater freedom, to a more spacious awareness of the goodness of Jesus. We can start to understand our human limitations as creational, actually, things that God embedded in us as creatures. So the fact that I don't know what's going on at all times, and I don't have full grasp of everything, we can start to understand that is a, that is a good thing because God created us as limited beings and, and He called it good. We can grieve sin, our sin, and the ways that others have sinned against us. All of these things are ways to start to see our limits as gifts. As Kazarapism. When I was struggling uh, with limits in my life, one particular limit, the grief of losing my dad. So that grief was unavoidable, and therefore my, I sort of 
gave gave my body permission to grieve, I didn't give up. I mean, it just happened. But what happened is all these other, like these thousands of other little griefs that I never grieved, they just came to the party. They just came to the party. They're like, fine. I've been waiting for Joe to open the door. My counselor, she prayed this psalm over me, Psalm 1819. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted. May we be a church that experiences this spacious place because he delights. Lord, we receive this paradox. And we ask that you would, this week, even right now, give us a taste of what it would look like to feel your goodness in this spacious place that you call us. It may not look like it, Lord, we know that. But in the most important angle, the most important lens possible, would you give us a vision? In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening in. For more resources like this and to learn more about hope, please visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.